You are listening to the Equip Podcast. This weekly course seeks to equip our church, and we pray it can help you as well. Check out more resources at rockycreek.church. So uh, mentioned last week, we're going to spend these Sunday nights throughout the summer. Uh, it's kind of hard to even say it's summer, but officially we're kind of almost there, right? Uh, but talking about building a stronger marriage. Uh, there'll be a few Sunday nights that we'll take off from that and move into something else. One of those is next Sunday night, okay? So next Sunday night we're having a Waypoint gathering. I mentioned in our services today that we're going to have uh, kind of ministry updates, exciting testimonies of what's happening, and some baptisms outside uh, in the parking lot. We'll have a little bit of fellowship. So once again, it's the... Uh, Sunday before Memorial Day, so if you travel, if people still do that thing now, uh, I don't know if people travel or not, uh, you might not be here, but for those that are like, hey, I don't have to work on Monday, that's great, we can stay out in the parking lot and just keep everybody awake around us, but um, we're just going to have time to celebrate, uh, I was just talking with someone recently, uh, last service, who came up and said, hey, uh, I was baptized as a very young child before I really even understood what baptism meant, but I felt like later in my life, like I, I understand the gospel and that I want to be baptized, is that a good thing? I said, absolutely, the, the Baptism is a thing that you're saying, I made a decision and now I'm, I'm wanting to make this decision that I, I want to tell other people that I belong to Jesus Christ. And so the reason why that works for the marriage is uh, there's a, when you come to the uh, spot in the wedding ceremony of pastors officiating that and saying, hey, two are coming together as one, right? And there, at some point you put on a wedding band, okay? The wedding band is not what makes you marriage. I can take it off. I'm, I'm still married. I can give this wedding band to somebody else. It doesn't mean that they're married, but I put it on to show other people the relationship that's there. And that's kind of what baptism is, right? It's to say, I don't mind telling other people that this is what Jesus Christ has done for me. And so for those of that needs to be your next step, we would love to talk with you through that. We'll do that next Sunday night. So we won't be in here. We'll be out in the parking lot enjoying some wonderful spring summer weather something that'd be great oh, awesome okay uh so uh we're, we talked about last week we're going to be going through the book uh, at least the first three chapters of genesis walking through and talking about the different ways of how god put marriage together in the opening pages of genesis if you get this down you really get the entire rest of the, of the bible down so many other ways so last week we talked about how he formed and filled us he formed us individually and filled us with his presence how he also formed marriage and then fills our marriages and so to, uh, tonight we're going to talk about is helpless and alone, okay? Some of you are like, that's me. Um, so, uh, but what Scripture is going to say is that in this, God is going to say that when he first looked at Adam, pre-sin, pre-eviction from the garden, pre-consequence, he still looked at him and said, this guy needs help. <laughs> this guy's not all together, and he's alone. And so that's going to help us understand a little bit of the nature of marriage. So God categorized the only creation made in his image as helpless and alone. So within the gift of a spouse, God intends to meet those two needs for his sole purpose. So, so when it comes down, it says that he made this image, and out of all the things we talked about last week, making the, the light, making sky and water, making the land, making all the things that went in all those environments, there's only one thing he created in his image, as we looked at last week. Genesis 1:27. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We are made to bear the image of God. And interesting, if you go to chapter 2, um, what we'll look at here in a moment is that you're going to see something very intentional that the author does here. Because in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, it says, Then the Lord God said, It is what? Not good. It is not good that the man should be, what? Alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And that is in Genesis, what chapter again? Chapter 2. All right, here's a, here's a softball question for you. Um, 
Is Genesis chapter 2 before Genesis chapter 3? Yes. Good job. You're doing well. Okay. Softball there. Well, you did great on that. Okay. Genesis chapter 2 is before Genesis chapter 3. Because if you look at chapter 3, the subheading, you'll notice something about what happens in chapter 3. My subheading says the fall. Okay. This is when Adam and Eve sin. This is when they're going to get kicked out of the garden. This is when consequences come in. And yet, when you look at that phrase, you might say, well, yeah, Adam's alone because I kicked him out of the garden. Adam needs a helper because he's got sin in his life. This is before sin, before the fall, before eviction from the garden, before consequences. He looks at the one thing made in his image and said, this one's not good. It's not good. And interesting enough that he says it that way, it's not good when he has completely said over and over and over that all these things are good. He's going to make a very interesting case on, on why, why that looks. So first off, I think what that scripture passage is really teaching us is that we are designed for community. So throughout the days of creation, God had a rhythm of stating, creating, and celebrating each day's work. Okay, Stating, creating, and then celebrating. So give you the, the, the uh, way this kind of template works. Uh, day one, God said, let there be what? Light. So here's the stating part. Then it was so, okay? That's the, the, the creating aspect. Wouldn't you love if you could just say, say something that happened to existence? Clean house, right? Okay. Um, bank account doubled. <laughs> Look at that. That's awesome, right? Um, you know, if you just state it, God says, let there be light. Stated, then created. Right then, it happens. There wasn't like a, well, let's start a movement. It, it was created as soon as he said it. So it spoke into existence. It happened. And then when I says it celebrated, because each day he says, in fact, it would be good for us to go and look at this. Look at Genesis chapter 1. Take a left turn for a second. Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. And God said, let there be light. And there was, what? Light. Stated, created. And God saw that the light was good he celebrated it he looks at the ghost yeah this is good wow good day's work here yeah spoken into existence but light does what it needs to god separated the light from the darkness god called the light day the darkness he called night there was evening there was morning the first day so if you look at each of these uh paragraphs there in chapter one verses three through five are are the first day the next paragraph six through eight is the second day nine nine going on all the way down to thirteen uh, it's the third day, and, and going on from there, there, each paragraph is basically representing a new day. And the rhythm is the same each time. Stated, created, celebrated. Stated, created, celebrated. Good, 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 good after every single day. Now, why that's so interesting is that each day was concluded by God remarking upon the day's work as good. There is the Hebrew word that you see over and over and over and over again in Genesis chapter 1. And it's almost as if you hear the same word over and over and over. It's supposed to trip something in your mind, right? This thing, I keep hearing it, I keep hearing it, I keep hearing it. I think he's trying to say something. These things are good. And that's why it's so interesting. Light is good. Sky and water is good. Earth is good. Uh, the sun, moon, and stars, they're good. The flying weird birds and the really awkward fish, they're, they're good. And the, the duck-billed platypuses and the hippos and the rhinoceroses, those are good. And then he looks at the one thing made in his image and says, this one is not good. It's shocking. We've heard this before. You've gotten used to it, but the author does something brilliant here. He probably said good. I don't know how many. I mean, I guess at least six, seven times in the chapter one. And when it gets down to chapter two, he's going to say, and this one was not good. Not good. 
God saw everything that he had made, verse, uh, and behold, it was what? Let's say here. Very good. Chapter 1, verse 31. It was very good, and there was evening, there was morning, the sixth day. Now, I'll bring that to you there. If you look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. This is really interesting because this is kind of the summation of creation week. And then chapter 2, you notice something here where it says the seventh day, he's going to talk about that God rested on the seventh day. Then what do you notice around chapter 2, verse 4? Do you notice like in your Bible it's kind of indented there a little bit? Moves in a little bit. It's kind of a, it's poetry at this place. But here it says the creation of man and woman. Now let me ask you a question. In chapter 1, we already looked at last week. He's already created man, right? God, chapter 1, verse 27. God created man in, in his image. So why is it going back here? Um, chapter 1 is this summation, okay? Here's the big picture of what he did those first six days. And now chapter 2, he's going to say, now I'm going to give you a behind-the-scenes deal about the most important creation that he did. And guess what that was? Us. I, I, I know I've already said that I created man in my image, but let me go back to chapter 2. And I want to remind you again of what is taking place here because of how important it is. So he unpacks it a little bit more in those verses. And so when the author throws an intentional curveball with his description of God's grandest masterpiece as not good. So chapter 1, looking throughout all of those things, good, 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 good. And then to chapter 2, verse 18, when he says not good, it's an intentional curveball meant to sort of throw us off going, wait a minute. You just said at the end of chapter 1, verse 31, you look at the whole creation, it was very good. But then you go back and say, let me look at Adam again. And let me tell you this one. This one's not good. To where I would want to go, but this is the only one made in your image, God. This one should be really, really awesome, right? But he says, no, this is not good. It's not good at all. So why is that? Well, as it comes down, we'll, we'll kind of unpack what that means. But it really is showing that when he says that there is a helper that is suitable for him, I'm looking for someone, chapter 2, verse 18. It's saying that we are meant to be like God, but not exactly. So we were made in the image of God, but we can never be exactly like God. That's why we needed someone to be like us. Does that make sense? So we're made in his image, um, but it's as if there is a parent and a newborn baby. Can those two things, they may be having the same image, but can they do different things? Absolutely. Very, very different things. So, so God is saying, I'm going to make you my image, but yet there is some portion of us that will never be exactly like God. So why did he look around and says, this one's not good. Chapter 2, verse 18 says it's not good because he's alone. To which you and I would probably go, all right, wait a minute. Chapter 2 before chapter 3, was Adam really alone at this point? Because he hasn't been kicked out of the garden. So who is he walking with every single day of his life? Anybody want to take a guess? God. That sounds like pretty good company, right? You're working. This is what Adam's job was. He was supposed to name the animals and till the garden that God had planted. And you think, okay, so what happens? Every day after work, God comes walking through saying, hey, buddy, what you been up to today? I, I've been naming stuff. You know, a little awkward one over there? I call that an ostrich. Huh, pretty good idea. I like that, right? Okay. Uh, oh, and I was, I was tilling the garden over here and hadn't tried this yet. I think these are mangoes is what I'm calling this. was pretty awesome. It's like, I thought you'd like those. I was waiting for you to get around. Like, they're just talking face to face. God to creation, creator to creation, father to son. This is a type of intimacy that I can't even fathom, and yet he still looks at him before sin and goes, but you're alone. And I go, he's not kicked out of the garden. Why would God say something like that? Well, because if we think about it, let me go back here for a second. 
We cannot be exactly like God. There's something different than we'll always be. And that's why we needed someone to be like us. Now, we're going to do a little little, uh, Bible drill here for a second. Let me show you something. Chapter 1, verse 1 again. I want you to tell me the name that you see here about the person who created. It says, in the beginning, what? God created. That word uh, Elohim is the Hebrew word for God. It's very generic. Okay? So some people could use that word. could be like, well, your God or my God. It's, it's not... Elohim is not God's first name, if that makes sense. Okay? So in the beginning, God created. Look at verse 3. And God said... Verse 6, and God said. Verse 9, and God said. Verse 11, and God said. Every time in chapter 1 that God is mentioned, it always saying Elohim. And God said, and God said. Now look at chapter 2. Um, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, wahoo, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God God made the earth and the heavens. And in the next few verses, is going to say how the Lord God made Adam. Now you go, why is that important? It's the first time you've seen the word Lord in Scripture. And if you notice in your Bible, it's also capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. It's just not any Lord. That word right there is being translated into your Bible is the covenantal first name of God, Yahweh. So when it says Lord, God says, you know, the God in the sky, the big God, kind of we, we may or may not know him, but there's a God out there. And, and when it says Lord, it's saying, and we know his first name. We know him intimately, right? So... If someone comes up to me and says, Pastor Agnew, I know you don't know me that well, okay? If you say, Travis, a little bit closer. If you call me T, I know we know each other really well, okay? Like, I just, in my house, it's funny because, like, they always say that um, uh, a man, uh, my wife will just start with T, Trav, Travis. Like, she starts at the low, you know, and just keeps adding, like, if you really, really know me, you're going to call me T or Trav or whatever, but Travis a little bit more. Like, this is what this is getting at. At this point, it says, we're going to introduce you to God's name. And it's beautiful when it does it because it hasn't happened all chapter one. You know why? Because it's all generic. But now we focus in on the one creation that God made in his image. And he says, now this one will know my name. This one is going to be very, very close to me. So notice that the first time that God's personal name is used in scripture is when Adam is introduced. When Adam is introduced. The first time that God's name is, me- is mentioned in a very unique and specific know the first name. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, verse 5, when no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field that had yet sprung up from the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature, and the Lord God planted a garden Eden. So what's happening here is, and and sometimes it's hard to translate how incredible this is, but in chapter 1 it's saying, so you see the creation out there, and you see what happens a lot of times when someone sees a starlit sky, or someone sees the Grand Canyon, or someone sees the mountains, and someone goes, man, how can anybody look at this and not believe that there's a what? God out there. I don't know anything about him, but there has to be one, right? That's what chapter one is. Chapter two, the one who created Adam, oh, we know his name. Adam's going to be personal connection with him. So 
Yes, he's like God, but he's not exactly like God. There's going to be some separation here. So these are the generations of the heavens and the earth. Once again, where he uses that verse. So mankind is supposed to enjoy a fellowship with the Lord like no other creature could fathom. There's something unique about mankind that's supposed to enjoy a fellowship with the Lord that nobody else, no other creature can fathom. Um, I believe that the animals in the world, they give glory to God, okay? When the birds start really being really loud outside my window at 6 in the morning, they're, they're giving glory to God. There's something beautiful about that. But can I tell you this? That bird doesn't have a soul. It doesn't. Um, there, there's something unique about mankind, about humans, about men and women who say that they are bearing the image and it's supposed to enjoy fellowship with God like no other. So that's why day one through day six, really, there's not this personal name of God. But when you get down behind the scenes to look at Adam, it goes, now let me introduce you to his name because you're going to actually know it. You're going to have a relationship with him. You're going to be on a first name basis with him now, unlike anything else out there in creation. So when he says he, he sees a need that Adam is helpless and he's alone, He's saying that he's going to make this helper that's suitable for him, that it's going to, they're going to be like each other, but not exactly, speaking of Adam and Eve, right? If you're not aware of this, God made male and female similar but distinct. Were you all aware of that yet? I'm not going to draw you a picture or anything, and I'm going to give you a listing, but I, if you're not aware, there are differences. There are a lot of differences. External, internal, in the mind. What, look, fellas, by the way, ha, ha, fellas, have you ever forgotten anything in your lifetime? Forgotten where you put the keys. Forgot what happened on that event. Can I just tell you something about the women in this room? They have not forgotten. They know exactly where you put your keys. They know exactly what happened 12 years ago on this day. And are they upset? Why don't you remember that? Like, I, I don't know. I'm a dude. I don't know, right? There's just something. There, there's differences, right? Um, ladies, you are very compassionate, typically, stereotypically. You really see the need for someone, and your heart bends, and you want to do something. And a lot of times that heart helps men when they're kind of tough exterior to come alongside and help. And sometimes, men, you come alongside and say, hey, we, 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 sometimes we've got to let these people fall a little bit. And they've got to learn on their own. Right? There's, this, there's differences. Uh, there's differences about how God created us. There's differences about functions and what we can do. Right now in our culture, we're kind of having a problem with this, if you're not aware. Um, when people say... Jesus never spoke about marriage, or he never spoke about male and female. Yes, he did. You go to Matthew chapter 19, he says, As it was said in the beginning, there's people arguing, like, do you have to get divorced? What about marriage? And he goes, as it was said in the beginning, God created man, and there was one man, one woman, and what God has put together, let no man separate. So what is, what is Jesus saying? He is very, very clear of what marriage is supposed to be. It's about one man, one woman, for life. That's the ideal. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, it's beautiful. He says, and God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And right now in our culture, there are people who are leading out to say the he and the she pronouns are disrespectful. We need to classify everybody as they, even in the singular form. You all realize this? So someone says, I don't want to identify as a male or female. So when you refer to me, don't say he's doing this. Say they is doing this. That's what people are preferring to say right now. Whenever I think of they, typically I think of at least two people, you know, two people or more, right? But right now there's some people who are saying, if you don't call me in the workplace, they is going to get it, then I'm going to report you for harassing me right now. This is what's happening in our culture, right? Why is that? Because we don't want to, uh, to admit this. 
that God made male and female, they're similar. We're both made in the image of God. We both have souls. We both have compassion to help people. But goodness gracious, we're a little bit different. And I'll just say this. As the male side of that equation, I am thankful, okay? I am thankful that there's a difference. In so many ways, I am very thankful that they made us similar, but there is very distinct natures of it. What's crazy in our culture right now is that no matter what we do in all the scientific and medical advancements we have, no matter how you do this, apparently it still takes a man and a woman somehow to create a child. For all the advances we do, well, you can do this in the lab. What, what, what do you still need? We still need something from the guy, and we still need something from the girl. Really? Huh? You can't do anything right? We are literally going, no, 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 no. We're going to try to advance that, and yet the culture can't get their head around it. Why? Because I, I know this. Um, I've never once, okay, I've never once thought, you know what I want to do? I want to, I want to carry a child all the way term to labor. I, I never had that desire, okay? <laughs> never, never thought. I, I have... I have seen many pregnant women in my lifetime. I have seen the bearing of child and what that looks like. I've never thought, you know what I want to do in my life? That right there, okay? And yet, ladies, there's something unbelievable about what you get experience carrying a child alone. There, there is. And, and the, the fact of how God brings something in life together and it, and it takes both a male and a female, there's something beautiful about every aspect of that. And there, there's something different. I, I realized this early on. Um, when, when Gloria was a tiny, tiny baby, it was interesting. Gloria has, you know, a lot of people go, is she a daddy's girl? Is she a mom's girl? She's just an everybody's girl, but she's, she is very, very connected. Uh, and, and there are certain things where she's going to be attached to me. But when she was a tiny, tiny baby, I'll never forget, we were at the beach, and we went to the Japanese steakhouse. You know, the place they set everything on fire and start throwing knives at you and stuff, and you're supposed to eat in the middle of that, right? It was so interesting that what happened, this not even maybe one-year-old child or something, that when the fire starts and the knives start going, she's, ah, 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 and she's in her high chair, and she starts reaching for me. I want the big guy to, to protect me, okay? Like, Mom, I know you'll care for me, but I'm scared. Let me go to Dad. So she's sitting in my you know, lap, and I'm covering her, and whatever, you're fine, it's okay, and she's she home in my lap. And then it's time they start putting food in my lap, and guess what she wants? Mom, why? I'm not sharing my food with the little girl. I'm sorry, she knows that early on. Dad is going to protect me. Mom is going to care for me. One-year-old mine. She saw there's just a difference. She, she saw, and guess what? That both are needed, right? Similar. Can a man protect? Sure. Will I care for as long as I get some? Okay, yes, right? But, but at the end of the day, it's, it's that God made male and female similar but distinct, and we have a hard time um, allowing this to take place. And, and I think what, what's, what's happening is, is that when we're exchanging the truth of how God made us, is what Romans 1, we're exchanging it for a lie and, uh, and somehow denying how God has made us. And it's, it's, it's not a bad thing that we are different. And in, in fact, what's happening right now is, if you even look at how this translates, and I promise this, and trying to go into all these different areas, but, but with all the stuff that's happening in sporting events right now with high school and collegiate athletes, where someone who says that they want to identify as a female, that a biological male can compete against females, and apparently they win most of the time. I'll show you how messed up this scenario is. Have you found one biological female who says she identifies with a male and wants to compete against them? 
It's not happening. Why? Because she's probably going to get her clock wrong in it. And you go, oh, I know women that are faster than me. Oh, I, I, plenty of it, right? I, I get that. But you talk about uh, athletes. There is a reason why we have women's basketball and men's basketball. Why? Because they're just there's just differences. doesn't mean one's better than the other. It's just different, right? And yet, we have all these issues that we want to say, well, we don't want to disregard women from here. I've just always thought, okay, I've got boys who are going to get ready to start driving a little bit. Do you know the insurance? They still make guys pay higher on the insurance premium than women, right? So I'm just wondering, can a guy go in there? I feel like being a woman today for the insurance sake. I don't know how that works. I'm just thinking, just possibly, could you get a lower rate? Now, I say that as a joke, but in the way this culture is going, can anyone argue with that? Can you argue? No, you can't give me the man's, I, I feel like a woman today, okay? You know, that's the way I, I'm identifying with it. Now, this is how ridiculous th- this is right now. And, and in the, the line of we want to give women rights, we are robbing them of what makes them distinct and beautiful. There's some things that God gives women that men just don't have. Praise God, they don't. No, 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 we got to make them equal. No, you're not making them equal. You're actually putting them on a lower plane and they can't compete in a lot of areas. Versus God's made them this way and they don't need improvement. They don't need to adjust. They're just fine as they are. And so it, even in the lane of women's rights, we're actually walking away from what I think God has caused us to be distinct. So there, this is how this even impacts kind of where we are as a culture. Now, men and women are meant to complement and not clone one another. We're meant to complement one another, not clone one another. Um, you don't want a spouse that's exactly like you, right? So... In theory, the things that you are really bad at, hopefully your spouse can come alongside and be good at, and vice versa. There are many things of which that really can ground us. So there is many times that my wife will help me be tender-hearted and servant-hearted to those people who are just kind of down and out. Where I'm kind of like, well, if they really worked hard, they could get over it, okay, or whatever. She's like, or maybe we could help. I'm like, or maybe we could, right? And there are some times where the concerns of this world can get her really up and, you know, kind of nervous. I can say, whoa, whoa, honey, everything's fine. God's good. We're going to work this out, right? And, and we do. We, we complement each other. We don't need cloning. We don't need to be exactly alike. We actually need to complement one another. So when it says also, so if you think about that God created us, we're like him, but not exactly. We're like each other, but not exactly. But also I want to say like us, but not exactly. And what I mean by that is this. In addition to the marital relationship, God has designed us to need a healthy community of people. So I think when God said, Adam is alone, I think he was thinking marriage is important, but I also think at another level, he was just thinking community with other people are important, right? Right, COVID-19, 2020, 2021? Are people and relationships important? Yep. Uh, As I was talking with a senior adult here in the middle of COVID-19, she said, Trav, if we go down on... Um, quarantine again. When you quarantine, you go back home to a family where there's four other people. When I quarantine, I'm all alone. And it was killing her. Why? Because we're designed to need people. God sees Adam without sin, still in perfection, and goes, this guy's not good. Why? He's alone. Walking with God, still alone. We need people to come alongside us. And so even as a couple, I would just say this. Well, we re- neglect tangible wisdom when we refuse to be intentional to learn from others. So if you're always in isolation, not learning from other people, this is where a lot of times we're neglecting tangible wisdom. 
because we're not learning from others. We're not somehow growing in our own relationship with other people. And what's so amazing about this is every married person in this room knows you probably hit a patch somewhere in your marriage where you thought, man, we're just struggling in this. And somehow you believe the lie. We're probably the only couple who deals with this. This is ridiculous. You know what? Anytime anyone has ever been in a small group of the church that says, y'all just pray for me. I'm embarrassed to say this, but I'm struggling in this area. You know what happens? Somebody goes, me too. Or I was there. Let me help you out. And so even on a married couple thing, here's the deal. Sometimes there are people who can bypass the hardships you're going through, and they can teach you a few lessons that you don't have to go to the school of hard knocks to learn. What if you had a couple say, let me, let me help you walk with this. So we're designed for this. So here's a question for you. Who will you be intentional to connect with as a couple? If I talk to a, uh, a couple that's about to get married, I will often ask them, who is a marriage that you would love to copy? And like that type of marriage is what you want to have in your own life. Oh, so-and-so and so-and-so. I just seem like they just have a legitimate, they just love each other. They love the Lord. Their family seems functional. I said, here's something I'd love for you to do. Why don't you invite them out to, you, you say, we, can we take y'all to dinner? And we would just like to learn from you. Really? I said, yeah, and you're going to pay too, okay? I know they're older and you're younger, but you say, I want to take you out and we just want to learn from you. And I think sometimes we just miss on so much because we just refuse to do that just to learn from other people. Now, let's keep moving here because the design for community aspect, there's also this design for opportunity. And, and what I mean by that is, in Adam's state, God declared that he needed a suitable helper. Chapter 2, verse 18, right? That he's, it's not good, he's alone, I will make a helper fit for him, a suitable helper for him. And it says that out of the ground, God had made all types of animals, and yet he said, I don't see any of these that works for uh, Adam. So what takes place? He makes Adam take a long nap, right? And what does he take from Adam? Anybody remember? Took a rib from his side. And some of y'all probably heard a wedding ceremony where someone says, it was not from his skull where she would lord over him and not from his foot so he would trample over her, but from his side so they could walk along. That sounds beautiful. I don't know if that's what it is, okay? But it sounds good, right? But he, he takes a rib from him and, and he takes that and, and he forms Eve and Adam wakes up and he's like, man, that was good sleep. He's like, what in the world happened here? And then all of a sudden he looks up and goes, whoa, man. Sorry, that, that's, okay, bad, bad joke. Okay, no, he, he's been looking and been naming animals for weeks, right, or days or whatever this looks like. And he looks up and he sees Eve and he goes, God, you've made some incredible stuff here. But this one, quite easily my favorite thing you've done here, okay? Will you please introduce me to her, okay? And, and, and so God brings these two together and it's a suitable helper and uh, look what it says, verse 22. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. There is this picture of this one. I, I mean, I, I, I can connect with God when I'm looking at the sky and I really like that golden retriever over there. And he's kind of a friendly, you know, little pup, whatever. That's nice. And, you know, I like going to get, get on that horse. That was awesome. But there's just this one I feel like we can get each other. And for the first time, I don't feel alone. For the first time, I feel like I, I have somebody else to talk with about what, what, what I was thinking about naming this or doing that. What do you, what do you think? First time, either, I finally don't feel alone. And this is what's so beautiful about it, right? That God called for spouses to help one another and not hinder one another. So it says this is going to be a suitable helper. Eve is going to come alongside and help. 
And typically what can happen in marriage is not that we help one another, but we do what? We hinder one another. What God's ideal was, you're busted, you're broken, and even if you're in pretty pre-fall state and you're decent, you're still helpless and alone. So I'm going to come, somebody is going to come alongside, right beside you, and help you do what I've called you to do. And yet, sometimes what takes place is not that we're helping one another, we're hindering one another. So if we, what help do they really need? This is the question I always ask, because if I think through, okay, God, you made a suitable helper, what did Adam need help with, Right? There wasn't Woodruff Road traffic jams yet, right? There weren't taxes yet, okay? There weren't headaches yet. What did he need help with? So then I start thinking, well, what did he have? What were the things that Adam had before the fall took place? And this is where, where I'll, I'll break it down for you, okay? First off, he had a relationship with who? Relationship with God. A healthy marriage should be a spiritually nurturing environment that encourages one another's relationship with who? With God. If Eve was to come along to help Adam pre-fall, what was she supposed to help him with? In his relationship with God. That was one of the most important things that she could do. To that end, where does the marriage fall apart? Spoiler alert. When Adam starts listening to his wife's voice above his God's voice. Right? God said this, but my wife says that. Uh, I don't want to sleep on the couch here, but you're going to sleep out of the garden there. Which what, what, what? Here it comes to healthy marriage should be a spiritually nurturing environment that encourages one another's relationship with God. So deep down, what was Eve and Adam supposed to do for each other? This is our creator. This is our God. This is our father. Let's get to know how to learn and experience and walk with him better than we could on our own. First year of marriage. Uh, I can remember um, sometimes on Saturday morning, I'd be looking for Amanda and going through the, you know, our, and find her there. And I, I remember one morning in, in particular that I walked into uh, this, this guest bedroom we had, and she just had her Bible open on a Saturday morning. And I said, oh, uh, sorry, didn't mean to interrupt. I was just about to go find my Bible and do my quiet time too. Um, you know, like uh, really quick. Now, what was that at that moment? There's this built-in accountability system to say, I'm pursuing God, so should you right? Hey, here's some things I'm learning. Let me share them with you. There's some times where Amanda or I will start talking about something we're learning through scripture, something going on in the world, and we're trying to kind of unpack how do we navigate as a family in the midst of this crazy society, and we come alongside and go, here's how we relate to God better. It's what should take place is that we are actually helping one another's relationship with God, encouraging it. Um, I will say this, um, you're not called to be your spouse's Holy Spirit, okay? <laughs> but you are called to be an example and an encouragement, helping, right? Helping do those things. So I do think it's beautiful. If For anybody here who thinks helper is a derogatory term, that's the word that's used to describe the Holy Spirit's role in our life as the helper, so it can't be a bad term. So we're supposed to help. We're not supposed to be the Holy Spirit, Right? But I also know this, that to help someone's relationship with God, I have never, especially ladies, I've never known a man ever rise to the challenge when his wife says, you're never like this, and I wish you'd do this more, and you're never getting around to this, and you're never going to be of this. I've never seen a man go, oh, you are right, and I will change right now. <laughs> it's never happened. Never happened. Why? Because she's putting down negative, you're not going to be this, versus what 1 Peter 3 says, it's beautiful. It's about wise. 
says even if you have an unbelieving husband, lady, in this early church movement, you following Jesus, he's not, you keep following the Lord and he's going to see a difference eventually. And then he's responsible for that. You don't push it on them. Why? Men don't like to be pushed, right? You just live it out in front of them and hopefully, prayerfully, it's going to change. We're called to help one another's relationship with God. Second thing I can think of that Adam had before the fall was he had a role from God. Uh, the role was this simple. Name the animals, right? Take care of the garden that I planted. Pretty good job. He wasn't sweating. He wasn't toiling. He didn't have taxes taken out of his paycheck. Uh, no thorns, no thistles. It was work he actually enjoyed. That sounds pretty awesome, right? You ever had a job that you kind of liked, right? Okay. Even in moments where I've gone, you know what? I love and feel called to what I'm doing. There are still parts of my job going, oh, do I have to do that today? Oh, gosh. You know? But before the fall happened, work was enjoyable. So what was Eve supposed to come alongside and help him do? I think fulfill the role that God had called him to do. Selfless spouses seek to ascertain why God has put their significant other in this world and then seek to assist them in fulfilling those particular calls. I think what happens in marriage is great. Is when you, you're not saying, let me change you, <laughs> right? It's, let me figure out what God has called you to do in this world, and I want to help see you succeed in that. I want to help see you succeed. So right now, Amanda and I, while we are supposed to be like God, we're not exactly like Him, or we're supposed to kind of be similar to each other, we are very distinct. And her role, most days when she wakes up, is very different than my role. Um... I wake up in the morning and I'm thinking about I need to get I need to get focused on the Lord before anybody else wakes up, and then I need to start caring for my family and I need to get ready and then I need to start thinking about how to lead this church. That's how my my day goes. And Amanda knows that there are certain times and certain ways that she can help encourage me in that and ways she can also hinder that. I'll give you a great example. We were um, one day we were meeting with some friends who uh, he's a pastor of a church as well and. His, God bless her, his wife was just like, oh, my husband, I tell you what, I wouldn't be in this church if he wasn't the pastor of it, blah, blah, blah. I have to listen to other sermons online because I get so bored. By She's saying it. He's right there. And I'm just like going, I think this is a joke. She's just letting into him, right? And she's talking, complaining, and I'm just watching the guy like just completely wither up in front of me. And like we get in the car afterwards, and I, I didn't even have to say a thing. She said, I don't know how that, she said, I don't know how that man does what, he's done, what he does every day. Just to know that she's, not only, she's not helping him, she's actually hurting what he's doing. And, and Amanda knows this, that there are many times that I will say, uh, we eat, the kids will know this, I'll say, all right, did the sermon make sense today? I still have time to redeem it at five o'clock, okay? Is there anything I could fix, right? Anything y'all would address that I, didn't make sense, right? They're like, yeah, it's fine. I mean, no, 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 right? My wife knows that if there was something, sometimes there are certain things that I start going down that she'll, and because she's so compassionate, she'll be like, oh, I don't want you to be so hard on them, but I know you probably need to be. But She knows that even if I, if I completely like fumble, I do something wrong, there's a time, a place, and a way to say that, right? Let me tell you when not to say it. If I got a 9 o'clock and a 10.30 and at 10.29, she goes, that was awful, by the way. Good luck on the next one. Not the time, right? Not the time, okay? Thankfully, she's never done that. But that also, sometimes I do need to hear her say, Trav, sometimes I think you're, you're pushing a little hard and you've got to think about these groups of people here that maybe not have that. And I think what you said was right, but maybe just think about the way that you said it. There's a time for that. I need to hear that in my life. It actually makes me be a better pastor, and I'm thankful to God for it. On the other end, she wakes up in the morning and she's thinking about being a homemaker and a mom 
and she's homeschooling our kids. And you know what? I can say, good luck with all that today. You know? See you in a little while. Or when she says, Trav, I can't get the computer working and we can't do the school stuff. Can you work on it for me? Okay. Is that a way I can help her do what she's called to do right now? If there's a way that I can leave the house, not in a wreck, right? Good luck with all this. You know, like, can I set her up for success in what she's called to do? And you know what I found out in marriage is the more that you help each other, the more the other person wants to help you. The more that you say, good luck on all that, right? God is saying we are called to help one another. And I believe that every single spouse, there are certain things that you're called to do. And I think God is saying, hey, come alongside and help this. The last thing that we'll say here is that the third thing that Adam had that he needed help for will be a rule from God. What was that rule? One rule he had. Don't eat of that tree, right? Don't eat of that one. You eat from any of the other ones, but only one rule. Don't eat from it or you're going to die. So as God provides rules for life, marriage is a built-in accountability system to fight against temptation and strive for obedience. If we think what marriage should be, I believe that Adam and Eve were supposed to help one another stay faithful to that one command. Now, folks, we have a little bit more than that one command, right? But within that command they broke is every command that we break. It is the desire to make the call, to decide what is right, what is wrong. And so let me tell you how this scenario should have taken place in the Garden of Eden, okay? We'll get into it next few weeks. Serpent comes up. Hey, Eve, are you sure God said this? You think he's holding something back from you? Oh, I bet you if you eat from this, you're not going to. And you know what should have happened in that place? Because it says in chapter 3, verse 8, it says, and she saw that she liked it, and she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. There's no pushback. There's no fight. There's no conversation. You know what should have taken? Eve said, Adam, what do you think? He's saying that we can eat this and we'll actually be better. What do you think? And Adam should have said, darling, can I see that for a second? Thank you for giving me that piece of fruit. Um, I'm going to hide it right back here for a second. Just get your eyes off for a second. Just look at me, dear. Um, from the moment that God said, don't eat of that tree, it's all I've wanted to do. There's something deep down inside me I never knew was there. He, he told me not to, and it's just like I'm drawn to it. And, I, and, I, and I, I'm kind of curious like you, and it looks better than all the other stuff, probably because he said don't do it, right? Okay, because that's just how we are. And right now I'm being strong because I have to believe this. He has done nothing wrong to us. He's done no, been nothing but good to us. So I just, I feel like I've got to believe his word right now that what he says is better than what we would think or this walking, talking snake would think right now. So I'm going to take this fruit. I'm going to, I'm going to throw it out over here. I'm going to kick him out of our house and we're going to follow God. And darling, I'm strong today, but tomorrow I may not be. And I'm going to need your help to fight against this temptation because one day I'm going to be weak and I need you to be strong. We're in this together, baby. You hear me? We're in this together. Throw the fruit out, throw the snake out, walking in obedience, but that's not what happened. And, and deep down, every marriage has this wonderful opportunity to say, can I see that fruit for a second? God's been too good for us to walk away from him. Can we kick that walking, talking snake out of our house? Because all he's doing is lying to us. And so today I'm strong and you're weak, but tomorrow it might be reversed. And so we've got to stay in this. Folks, if we think about what marriage is supposed to be is that we are helpless and alone. And God says, here's what marriage is supposed to be. You're, not, you're going to have someone to help you, and you're not going to be alone anymore. So on your weekdays, you've got someone to keep you strong. Folks, that's really what I think the most goal of a marriage should be, is that you walk up, you wake up every morning and say, okay, I am here to help this person's relationship with God, the role that they have from God, and to keep the rules from God and watch them stay faithful. Let's pray. Father, I do pray. 
for every single person here tonight as we think through what marriage is supposed to be. I pray we would realize that um, even before sin, Adam was helpless and alone. And in this world that we are helpless and alone and we need people to help walk with us in community, but especially through the marriage union. And so, God, I just do pray that for the married people here and for those that are hoping to get married one day, that we will think that if marriage is to be all about you, then it should go without even having to reason this way, but that marriage at its best level is to be able to point us to you, to help one another grow in our relationship with you, to be able to fulfill the role that you called us to, but also to continue to follow the rules that you've given us that are for your glory and for our good. So I pray for every union here who would strengthen and we would follow you and we'd point each other to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Equip Podcast. Make sure to check out rockycreek.church for complete notes and additional resources. You can also subscribe to this podcast and get weekly courses delivered to you. We hope to equip you for the work of the ministry.